Um, been praying through this passage for, wow, uh, Joe asked me to preach probably about a month ago and uh, just really praying through this passage uh, for probably a month and just reading it through and really picking it apart. And, um, and I just pray that you bear with me. Uh, last night, probably about one o'clock in the morning, Lord woke me up from sleep and uh, just pointed out to me that I needed to change everything that I had studied. So I took my message at 1 o'clock this morning, and I threw that out, and I started all over again. Um, I want to just say this. Um, to handle the Word of God is a sobering thing. And I just thank God for His Spirit that He leads us, He guides us into His truth. I thank God for that. Um, for a month, I was looking at this passage and I was trying to make it say something that it was never supposed to say. And at one o'clock this morning, the Lord said, Mike, this is what I was trying to tell you. And so I just pray that you'd bear with me. I uh, just kind of scribbled this down from one o'clock to four o'clock. Um, so I, pr- I pray that you bear with me. Um, Joe's going to dress me. Now, isn't that an expression of Paul? Like like a mother, right? Uh, uh. So, uh, Joe, you're not struggling that much with that uh, arena, my friend. Thank you for your kindness. Um, So we're going to... So we're going to look at... uh, If you would take out your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians this morning. Uh, Chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. This morning, I just want to, before we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 1 through 4, I want to just kind of set the scenes of what 1 Corinthians is all about, the letter that Paul's written here. Well, we know that Corinth is a city in Greece... Uh, that Paul had visited on his second and third missionary journey. In fact, we read in Acts 18, if you look in Acts 18, which is the history of the church and how the church got started, in Acts 18, 1 through 17, we see and we read about Paul's second missionary journey in Corinth. And the amazing thing is, is it talks about that Paul spent A year and a half in Corinth. A year and a half laboring day and night. And his ministry in uh, Corinth was very fruitful. He had a tremendous successful ministry there. In fact, in in Acts 18, it tells us this, that many of the Corinthians living and hearing the word of God believed. Many who were in Corinth believed in the gospel. Many received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In fact, Acts 18.10 tells us God, in a vision, stopped Paul. Paul was going to leave. God stops Paul. And he says, don't leave yet. 
Don't leave yet. And in a vision, God says this to Paul, for I have many in this city who are my people. And so many, many people came to Christ on this missionary journey, on this second missionary journey. And so this fledgling church starts up. This is the beginning of the church. This is an exciting time. And so in 1 Corinthians, this letter that we're about to open up, Paul writes this beautiful letter to this young, thriving church that he just planted. And throughout the letter, you can sense, as uh, Joe just expressed in Thessalonians, and throughout the letter, you can sense Paul's love for this church, the passion he had for these believers. In fact, he calls them his children, that he was like a father to them. And he had built such endearing relationships. And this letter covers a lot of important topics. This letter covers a lot. Talks about Paul's gratitude. Talks about divisions within the church and unity and what unity looks like. Talks about marriage and divorce and spiritual gifts, resurrection. Just countless topics Paul talks about in this church in admonition to them, and in love. But the passage we're going to look at this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says something very striking. Now think about this. As I studied this, Paul had spent a year and a half with these believers. Paul in this letter, talks about so much theology and so many topics. And in the passage we're about to look at, Paul tells them, out of everything I have said, out of everything I have told you, out of everything I have written, this is of the utmost importance. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in the church of Corinth and I've had this man pour out his life for a year and a half, write this letter, and he tells me, I'm about to share with you what is of the utmost importance. If I'm in that church, I'm moving up on my pew and I'm leaning forward. Paul has a passion. And we're going to learn about that passion. And I'm going to ask everyone to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Read along with me in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul writes this to this Corinthian church, this fledgling church. He said, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, there's our phrase, I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing I've ever delivered to you. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, we praise you for your word. Ah, oh, Lord, this is so beautiful. What a beautiful passage. Lord, I just love Paul's heart. And Father, I'm asking, Lord, that you, by your spirit, that you would just open up our hearts and mind to the truth and the reality of your scripture. And Lord, that you would be our teacher and our guide into your truth today, Lord, that we would be changed, Father, that we would see the beauty and the majesty of your gospel, be gripped with it and have it change our lives. Father, we submit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. I'm really struggling up here because I have these uh, glasses, bifocals, right? And it's, this is right at the distance where I either got to go like this or I got to go like this. So this is crazy. Um, uh, let me start with a little illustration. In 2005... A cancer patient, Georgia Hayes, went to court to sue her pharmacist. Her pharmacist had diluted her chemotherapy with water. Imagine. Her pharmacist had diluted her chemotherapy drugs with water. And in the process, she had lost her chance for recovery. She won two point two billion dollars she won 2.2 billion dollars settlement but lost her life but lost her life and so i asked myself that is a lot of money that is a penalty that i have never heard a penalty so large 2.2 billion dollars and i said why did the judge Wow, that's crazy. And then I thought to myself, no, it's not. This pharmacist messed with a person's life. This was between life and death that he was messing with, and you can't put a value on that, can you? What could be more deadly than diluting a cancer medicine. And actually, there's something even more deadlier than that. And that's what Paul talks about this morning. Actually, the most deadly medicine in all the world is a changed gospel, is an altered gospel. That is the most dangerous thing in the world. Because its tragic results are eternal. That's why Paul writes in our, our passage today, I deliver to you as of first importance. Guys, if nothing else, if you walk away with nothing else today, I want you to capture Paul was extremely passionate about the sanctity and the integrity of the gospel message. Paul was extremely passionate because he knew that the gospel, the gospel message, if you alter it, it's a matter 
of life and death. Paul wouldn't credit you $2.2 billion. Paul understood that there was no value that you could put on this. He knew how important it was. And the gospel has always been under attack. And here's, here's the thing. Like Paul, we need to have the same tenacity for the truth of the gospel. Amen? Amen. For the sanctity and the integrity of the gospel. Well, let's look at our passage this morning. And let's pick it apart a little bit. And let's see if we, if, uh, we can do some justice to it. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Notice he stresses the point that it's not just the gospel, it's the gospel that I presented to you. When I was there, there for that year and a half, it's the gospel that I presented to you. Paul wants to bring to their minds that The gospel he had presented to them, he wants them to remember that gospel. In fact, the word there, to remind, is the word norizo, which is to make known, to to help somebody understand. And so Paul reminds them, he helps them to understand again what the gospel was that he had presented to them. It seems that the church of Corinth had been corrupted by the world. You see, the church in Corinth was starting to question the validity and the truth of the resurrection. Just that little glimmer of change to the gospel, and Paul was passionate. He says, you cannot do that. And so he walks them through this passage, and he reminds them of all the beauty of the reality of the real gospel. Let's walk through it together. Read with me in chapter 15. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Which you received. And that word received there, again, in the original language, is the word paralambano, which means they not only received it, they associate themselves with it. They have taken the gospel on. They didn't just, it wasn't just an intellectual ascent, but they had received the gospel. Do you see the difference? And so Paul reminds them, remember guys, remember when I labored with you for a year and a half, remember that gospel that you received. Remember, in Acts 18.8, it says the Corinthians hearing Paul believed. Right? And he reminds them of what it means to receive the gospel. And so in John 1.12, John writes this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And so he reminds them of the gospel that they had received, that they had understood, that they had believed. Don't allow somebody to take that away. So he reminds them of that, how they received it. And then look at the second point. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. 
in which you stand. What a beautiful phrase. The word stand here is in the perfect tense. Listen to this. The word stand here is in the perfect tense, which means they stood in the gospel at their salvation, but they are in an ongoing state of standing in the gospel. Does that make sense? This is a beautiful fact about the true gospel. Listen to how Paul writes in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Listen to this. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. Guys, the beauty of the gospel is we receive it by faith and then we stand in this state of grace. Right now, I'm standing before you in a state of grace. Forgiven, redeemed, reconciled. And I don't stand here in a state of grace through anything I've done. We sit and we stand here today in a state of grace because of what Christ accomplished. And that's what Paul is trying to remind them of. Guys, don't walk away from this state of grace. It's a continuous state. Nothing can change that. That is glorious. I absolutely love that. But look at the third point that Paul makes in this verse. Again, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. By which you are being saved. Paul reminds them of what the true message of the gospel is. That word saved there is sozo, which means to be delivered, which means to be rescued, which means to be saved. That is why Paul was so passionate about the sanctity of the gospel. It's a matter of eternal life. It's a matter of life and death. Real quickly... Real quickly, I want to turn to Galatians. If you were turning your Bibles to Galatians, you want to see Paul's passion about the sanctity of the gospel? You really want to see a picture of Paul's passion for the integrity of the truth of the gospel? Turn with me to Galatians, and let's quickly go through some passages. Paul reminds me of like a, a, like a pit bull. Just... just there's no, don't mess with his gospel. He hangs on to it. Don't try and mess with it. <clears throat> in Galatians, watch this. Watch how Paul is passionate about this message. In Galatians, now capture this. Paul writes this letter to this church in Galatia, right? 
It's the only letter, if you read through the uh, Galatians, it's absolutely beautiful. It's the only letter that he writes that he's written to a church where he doesn't start off with this beautiful language of, dear brothers, I thank God for you. I love you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, He goes right in, head deep, because in Galatia, they're messing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only letter that he writes that he doesn't say, I thank God for you. Look with me at Galatians chapter 1. Look at verses 6 through 9, and I'm just going to read it through quickly. I am astonished. He's stunned. I'm astonished that you so quickly, that you are so quickly abandoning, they're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. There's that grace of Christ. And that you are turning to a different gospel. They were moving away from the the gospel that Paul presented, and they're moving to a different gospel. And I love what he says in verse 7. Look at this. He says, not that there is another one. There is no other gospel. There's only one gospel. And so he, he says here, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, but even if we, he says, even if I, even if I or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That word accursed there is the Greek word anathema, which means Paul is praying down a curse on someone to be destruct, uh, to have destruction in eternity in hell. And so that is Paul's passion for the integrity of the gospel. Do you see it? In Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read. This is why Paul was so passionate about the integrity of the gospel. In Galatians chapter 5, he says this in verses 1 through 4. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. What has Christ done? From what? From sin and from the curse of the law, from the burden of the law. So he says, stand firm, therefore, he said, there's that word again, stand, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says, stand free in the gospel. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to that yoke of slavery. And look what he says in verse two. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. So do you hear what they were doing in Galatians? All they wanted to do was mix in circumcision and the gospel. And Paul is saying to them, you can't mix anything in the gospel. Once you mix anything in the gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. Look at verse 3. I love this. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And then he says in verse 4, with a a play on words with circumcision, in verse 4 he says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you, watch this, you have fallen away from grace. You have fallen away 
from grace. One more verse in Galatians. Galatians 2.16. Throughout the book of Galatians, uh, the letter to the Galatian church, Paul points out that you can't mix anything with the gospel, with Christ. And so he writes this in verse 16. This is beautiful. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He repeats it three times that the law will never justify. What justifies? Faith in Jesus Christ. You can add nothing to the gospel. You add anything to the gospel, and it's not the gospel. It's not Christ in circumcision. It's not Christ in the law. It's not Christ in the sacraments. It's not Christ in baptism. It's through Christ and Christ alone. That's why the Reformers said it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Wow. Wow. Guys, we need to be gripped. We need to be gripped like Paul. We need to have a passion like Paul. We need to be like that pit bull who's grabbing on and saying, no, you can't change this. You can't change this. This is a matter of life and death. This is talking about eternity. And that's what he's dealing with in Corinthians. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Bless you. And so go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and let's look at the rest of this passage. He says this, and starting in verse 1 again, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Don't believe the lies. Hold fast to the one that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And then Paul does this beautiful thing in verses 3 and 4. He reminds them of the very gospel that they had believed. And he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. That's the gospel. And I love what Paul does here. He says, this is the gospel I received. In Galatians, we find that he actually received that from the Son of God. A a special revelation from Christ himself, Paul received the gospel. And so he shares the truth of it, but then he even, as a lawyer, he supports it with even more evidence. He says this, he says, for our sins, Christ died for our sins in what? In accordance to the Scriptures. He says, don't take my word for it. He says, look at the evidence. And there's so much evidence. The Old Testament is all about Christ. The Old Testament is all about the Christ and how He was going to suffer and how He was going to be persecuted. 
for our sins. For our sins. I'm just going to read Isaiah. Man, I have all sorts of scriptures here. I was packed. We just finished a study on Saturday morning with the men. We just finished a study, and we called it the road to Emmaus. And the, why, the reason why we called it the road to Emmaus is because, if you remember in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, right? In chapter 24, you have these two men who just are coming out of Jerusalem, and they're down, and they're distraught, and they're like, wow, he's gone. What happened? He was crucified. He died, buried. What? There's no hope. And they're walking, and they're on the seven-mile walk to Emmaus, and all of a sudden, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ, who they don't recognize, comes up and walks alongside of them. And it says in the passage that he says, why are you so down? And they said, where have you been, pal? Have you not, do, do you not know what just took place in Jerusalem? And then he says to him, don't you realize that the Christ was to suffer? And then on that seven mile walk to Emmaus, it says in the text that he walked them through all the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to the Christ. There is just an insurmountable amount of evidence for this gospel that we believe in. And God preserved it for our sake in the Old Testament. So our faith isn't just a blind grab onto something faith. Our faith has substance. And that's what Paul is pointing to here. He says, if you don't believe the gospel that I'm preaching to you, if you want to buy into these lies, guys, believe the scriptures, get into the the word of God and study it, and you'll see that the Christ was to suffer. The Christ was to suffer. I'm going to finish. Can I just share you with this? I think if Paul was here today, I think if Paul was standing before us, I think Paul would only have one thing to say. And I think he would say this. He would say, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel I preached. The gospel which you received. The gospel in which we stand. The gospel in which we are being saved by. And then he would say this, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you. That's right here in this book. If you hold fast to what I preach to you. And then he would say to us, 
He would say, for I deliver to you as of first importance. There's nothing more important. That which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again. And in that, we have eternal life. If you're here today, I just, there is nothing, nothing more valuable than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no better message in the world. You know, I I thought to myself, I do a lot of crazy thinking as I'm preparing for messages. And I'm like, could you imagine if I stood up here today and I told you I had a cure for cancer? That would be pretty crazy, wouldn't it? That would be good news, right? Could you imagine, could you imagine if I came up here today and I said, guys, I've had a revelation. I know for the next six months, the mega jackpot lottery numbers. That would be awesome news, wouldn't it? That would be a life-changing message. And you know what? That doesn't compare. That doesn't even come close. Not even close to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us through the cross and the validity and the truth of the gospel. And that's what Paul reminds us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. Father, I, I, I run out of words, Lord. I, I, I run out of words, Father, to, to really thank you, to, to really appreciate what you've done on our behalf, Lord. So, Father, I just come and I'm speechless. Father, that you would, by your grace and your mercy, that you would send your one and only Son, that you would send your one and only Son to go to a cross, to pay for my sins, to pay for our sins, Lord. This is an incredible message, Lord, that you would reach into this world and that you would save us, Lord, that you would give us life. Father, all we can do is worship you. Thank you for this gospel message, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you had it planned before the creation and before the foundation of the world. You had the Lamb of God planned out. Thank you, Lord, for preserving it in your word, Lord, that we can come here with such confidence, Lord, knowing that this message is true. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, our prayer this morning as we just quiet ourselves before you is, is that this message would change us. It changed Paul. Paul saw, saw, saw nothing in his life except for sharing this message 
with a lost and dying world, Lord. I pray and plead with you, Father, that you would give us a boldness and a courage to go out and proclaim this glorious gospel message. And Father, I pray that at Emmanuel Bible Church, that you would help us to hold on to and really sanctify and set apart and hold to the integrity of this gospel message, Lord. Help us to preserve it, to not water it down, Father, but to be bold with the truth that it's through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.